Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I'm grateful for today's sponsor, Chick-fil-A East Peoria. Check them out online to place your order for dining or catering, or to fill out an application to join their friendly team. Visit cfaeastpeoria.com. If this is your first time here, welcome. You may be wondering what it means to have a special Patreon release. So here's the scoop. Patreon was a platform we used to generate financial support for the Savvy Sauce, and we expressed our thanks to those paying patrons by giving them a bonus episode every month. But in 2024, we transitioned away from Patreon when we became a nonprofit called the Savvy Sauce Charities. The podcast is part of this nonprofit, which exists to resource loved ones to inspire growth and intimacy with God and others. So people used to pay to support us through Patreon, but now they can just donate directly to our nonprofit. We spend thousands of dollars each year to record and produce these episodes, and we do pray that they're beneficial and that God sees fit to use them to be transformational in your life. If that is the case, if you have ever benefited from an episode of The Savvy Sauce, would you consider showing your gratitude through your financial generosity? Any amount is greatly appreciated. In fact, if every listener gave only $1 per month, it would completely offset our costs. We have all the details on our website, thesavvysauce.com, but feel free to also reach out to our team anytime if you want to partner together. Our email address is info at thesavvysauce.com. And now I'm pleased to share this episode with you that used to only be available to paying patrons. My guest is psychologist and founder of Authentic Intimacy, Dr. Julie Slattery. Here's our chat. Welcome back to The Savvy Sauce, Julie. Oh, thanks so much for having me again. And for those who missed our previous episode, can you give us a glimpse of who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm a wife of 25 years, mom of three sons who are quickly leaving the nest. I'm a clinical psychologist. My work these days is I run a ministry called Authentic Intimacy, and our vision is reclaiming God's design for sexuality. And that practically looks like just helping people sort through where is God in the midst of what I'm struggling with in my marriage and my singleness with sexual temptation, with the confusion of culture? So really integrating God's truth um, with just the issues that we deal with every day related to intimacy and sexuality. Well, it's a very important work that you talk with people from all over the world about this topic. So from your wealth of knowledge in this area, What themes are you starting to see repeatedly? Yeah, well, there are some themes that we've seen really since we started this work in 2012, and those probably won't surprise anyone, but there are things like, uh, how do we overcome differences in marriage related to sex? What if I have no sexual desire or my husband has no desire? 
Um, we talk a lot about pornography and addressing that in marriage and just family. Sexual abuse recovery. Probably about one third of women have had sexual trauma in their past and about one out of every six men. And so this impacts a lot of people. And so how do you heal from that and how that impacts intimacy? And then in today's day and age, we're also getting new questions just related to gender fluidity and just redefining marriage and what does the Bible have to say about all those things. So I'm definitely not bored. My job definitely keeps me on my knees and in the Word of God and just really trying to give people biblical guidance through the kinds of issues we're facing today. Yes, and even through your podcast, which is just one part of Authentic Intimacy, you have so many episodes, it just seems you never run out of ideas related to this topic. Is that right? It is. You would think that we would. We've been doing the podcast now for, I think, like five years, and we have uh, you know over 250 episodes, but we don't run out of topics because people are just grappling with these issues. And so sometimes we'll just teach through a topic, but often we'll have a guest on that shares a story of just where God has brought healing and redemption. And uh, sometimes we just talk about our relationship with the Lord. I want it all to go back to that. So keep going as long as the podcast is helping people and ministering to them. Well, it sounds like it definitely is. And I personally love the local church. I'm sure you do as well. So I hope that we're all doing our part, both to build it up and protect it. So what do you see the church getting wrong and getting right on this topic? Mm, well, you have to almost look at it from a historic point of view, because I think most of us who've grown up in the church, any form of church, would probably say that my church growing up never talked about sex. And if they did talk about sex, it was awkward. Maybe it was with a very harsh or judgmental tone, or it was a male pastor telling the wives that this is important in marriage. And so we have a lot of baggage, I think, from the ways that the church has not addressed sexuality, or if we have addressed it, it hasn't been with God's heart. And so there are a lot of people that have a history with the church related to sexuality that actually makes them feel like God is the last place I want to go to talk about sex. And so we have a lot of undoing to get this right, I think, in our current generation. And I'm glad to see that churches, by and large, are starting to address the kinds of issues that people are struggling with without making them feel shame you know, for struggling with pornography, for, you know, questioning things around gender, for brokenness in marriage, or, you know, sleeping around promiscuity, you know, all those things that traditionally you never want to admit in a church. I think we're now starting to get realistic about the fact that this is where people live today and uh, they need practical help. But there's also a really big divide happening in our country and also in our churches of, you know, is God primarily a God of love who just embraces wherever we are, allows us to stay where we are? Or is God more a God of truth that has these standards of righteousness and we have to live up to these standards of righteousness? So there's a lot of sorting through those issues right now in the Christian church of how do we walk um, with both the truth of God and the grace of God. And so, you know, that's really my heart is helping churches and uh, just individuals grapple through that tension. 
I like how you said tension there because it's not just an easy one-time sermon that will solve all the problems, right? No, not at all. Actually, you know, one thing that I'm really encouraging churches to adopt is more of what I call a sexual discipleship model, where they're approaching issues of sexuality with a discipleship mindset. And discipleship is lifelong. It's, you know, this goal of maturity that we're all walking towards. And it means really authentic relationships, doing life together, and dealing with the real life issues as they happen. You know, let's respond to what just happened in the news or what's happening within our church body instead of it feeling like sex is always talked about um, just from like a high and lofty perspective. Oh, that's really good. Changing gears here a little bit, as believers, I think that we should have the most fulfilling sex lives in our marriages because we are intimately connected as well to the creator of intimacy. So are there any sexual pleasures or benefits you think believers are missing out on just because of a lack of education or maybe a belief in anything short of God's truth? Yeah, I I see that all the time, particularly in a couple ways. First of all, there are a lot of Christians that carry shame around related to their sexuality um, because of things they feel guilty about that they've done in the past or they're currently struggling with because of things they've experienced or even religious teaching that made them feel that sexual desire and pleasure is is wrong. And so I think that's one big barrier to overcome. I think particularly with Christian women, like how do I enjoy this in my marriage when I feel like I've grown up thinking this is wrong and my desires are wrong? And so uh, that's a barrier. But then I, I think also... Uh, we have a very superficial, even within the church, understanding of what sexual desire is supposed to be. I think we buy the Hollywood image of it that, you know, the best sexual pleasure is going to be like with two perfect bodies and it's on the honeymoon and it's just this natural ecstasy that happens. And that's just not the reality for <laughs> for married couples. It's, it doesn't usually happen right away where sex is fun or pleasurable. usually takes work. There's obstacles to overcome. Our bodies are not perfect. And so I think because we buy that lie that the greatest sexual pleasure is kind of this ecstasy of a moment, we miss the kind of pleasure that can be built on a journey over time even as we together work through obstacles. There's a much more profound intimacy, vulnerability, and pleasure for couples that will will hang in there and be on that journey together instead of giving up when things don't go well right away. You're right, because doesn't the research validate that couples who have been together longer are more satisfied, even comparing it to Hollywood, things we wouldn't expect if they're having health issues or they've added children to the marriage. And yet there is this mystery of they're enjoying it more later. Yeah, that's what the research does show, that the most sexually satisfied people are people that have been in a long-term committed relationship. And interestingly, those that have a strong faith, like a religious faith, are more likely to have a good sex life as they age. So yeah, it it bears out God's design, but we don't hear that very often. We're just bombarded with messages that sex is all about how it feels in the moment and how your body looks and how much you're compatible with each other. But that's not what the research shows. 
Okay, so now with that foundation, what do you recommend for all of the couples listening to experience more sexual pleasure? Yeah, one thing I'd recommend is is really to take a long-term view of it. Think of it like you have this project that you're working on as a couple. Sometimes I'll talk about it being like a box of Legos. You know, when you open up a box of Legos, you have a really cool design on the outside of the box, but you don't open up the box to get a finished product. You have to put all the pieces together and follow the directions, and it might take you a long time to build it. And with Legos, you even like once you build, you tear it down, you build again. And sex is a lot more like that. It can be very confusing, frustrating. It can cause conflict in your marriage right out of the gate or as you encounter difficulty. But if you continually remind yourself and your spouse that God has actually given us this gift so that we learn to love more intimately, so that we're learning to forgive, we're learning to be unselfish. If you can have that perspective, then really any obstacles you have to overcome, whether they're emotional or physical or difference in desires or whether there's pornography or things like that that you need to work through, you see that even in the obstacles, God can be doing something really good between you. And I think there's two important points there, what you're talking about. First, that there likely will be obstacles at some point and that there's hope in that. And then second, I've heard you speak with that Lego example before. I think it's such a great example. And I remember you saying, if you opened it up and you expected that picture that's on the box, and then you open it up and all these pieces just fall out, you'd be very disappointed. For sure. (laughs) I think all of us have experienced that. Like, wow, you know, this isn't what I thought it would be. Even if you've had sex before you got married, a lot of married couples will say once we got married, like, we just we can't agree or it's not fun anymore. And so, yeah, that obstacles are normal and you should expect them. And why do you think that is that couples, even if they had been sexually active before marriage, they come into marriage and it's not working for them? Any reasons or theories you have on that? Yeah, I think there are all kinds of reasons. We can look at it from even a spiritual perspective that I really believe that Satan hates great sex within marriage. He does because it's a very powerful part of God's design and God's blessing. And so he'll do anything he can to make sex a source of conflict instead of a source of unity. But I think also we often come into marriage with the belief that our sex life is about me being pleased and uh, about us having pleasure. We just naturally love that way when we're immature. We love the idea of you loving me well. And um, in marriage, sex is just one of those areas that exposes our selfish perspective. And it doesn't matter how quote-unquote compatible you you are, you're going to hit a wall with your spouse probably early on in marriage related to sexuality where you wanted sex, but he or she didn't. Or maybe your spouse wanted sex and you didn't feel ready or something was said that was hurtful or, you know, something was insensitive. You're going to run into something that hurts your sense of this was for me. And again, this is not just in the sexual relationship. It's all of marriage where you have to share your money. You have to share your time. And you start to realize that you've always defined love as how the other person is making you feel. And now all of a sudden you don't feel so great 
And so I think that's a good part of growing. You know, people will say, hey, that's a bad thing. But if we never experienced that, we would just love very selfishly. We'd never move past that. And I think what you do so well, even with your resources, like your study, Passion Pursuit, there's this healthy both and approach because yes, we are selfish and that can come out in intimacy and marriage. And I would think, especially for Christian women, sometimes we're too selfless, if that's possible. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. What happens if you're a completely selfless lover? And all you want to do is please the other person. Well, one thing that happens is the other person gets to stay selfish. And that's not healthy. That's not healthy for intimacy. In the long run, it's going to breed resentment. I mean, I've talked to women who are 10, 15, 20 years into marriage, and they're resentful that sex has always been about pleasing him. And maybe in the moment, they're like, okay, I'm doing my duty. I'm a good Christian wife. I'm being a good lover. But in the long run, you haven't built intimacy and you haven't challenged your husband to learn to be a good lover. And so, yeah, it's not completely about you and it's not completely about him. Uh, you know, as you learn to, to love each other, you actually find that it's all supposed to be leading to God, to understanding his love for us, to learning to love God more as a couple. And so I think it's dangerous. I'm glad you brought that up. It's dangerous to have the perspective that it's all about me or it's all about him. Intimacy is a mutual yielding to each other. I remember it might have even been in your resource, but oftentimes the biggest turn on for a husband is a turned on wife. So if she's only focused on being selfless, she could be doing the opposite of what she's actually intending. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That The biggest pleasures that a husband has is knowing that he's bringing pleasure to his wife and absolutely that she's into it, that she's available, that she's enjoying it. And guys will tell you that, hey, I appreciate it when my wife's just like, hey, this is for you. I'm just going to be pretty passive in this. They're like, well, thank you, but that's not really what I want. You know, thankfully, God has designed men in such a way that, They want to be great lovers. It's part of even their sense of masculinity and ego to please their wife. And so that's a great point, Laura, that you bring up that even in, you know, this idea of I'm going to be unselfish, you're really even stealing a deeper pleasure from your husband if you don't let yourself enjoy it. And so let's speak just a little bit further to that wife listening. What encouragement would you have for her or what is a first step maybe in correcting that? mindset. Yeah. It sounds like you may have gone through our Bible study passion pursuit. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Okay. So yeah, that Bible study actually is going to be really powerful in unearthing some of the things we believe about sex that really aren't biblical. And I know I went through this in my own life through writing passion pursuit, ironically, just the idea that I'd kind of grown up with without realizing it, that Sex was really about pleasing my husband and a good wife would please her husband. But I never really considered that part of God's design was that a wife is initiating sex, that she's enjoying it. And that's even part of a husband's challenge to figure out his wife, to unlock her sexually. And so a great first step would be going through passion pursuit. But if you don't go through passion pursuit, 
get in God's word, read the Song of Solomon, and really think about why would God put such erotic poetry in the Bible? Why does this little book belong within God's word? And what does it say to me about what a healthy sex life is supposed to look like in my marriage? And what you start to realize is that lies just get planted in our hearts without us even realizing it. Sometimes it is through trauma. Sometimes it's because we've done things in the past that we still feel guilty about. And sometimes it's just because the church hasn't taught us a healthy biblical perspective of sexuality. And so we just kind of grow up believing that God really isn't pro-sex, where the scripture says he really is within the covenant of marriage. Definitely. It is such a great resource. I can't recommend it enough. And as always, we'll link to it both in our show notes and then on our website under the resources tab. And now a brief message from our sponsor. I want to say thank you to our longtime sponsor, Chick-fil-A East Peoria. I hope that you've already downloaded the Chick-fil-A app. Because did you know that with the app, you can skip the line and have food ready for you when you arrive? This is one of my favorite options when I'm taking my four daughters to Chick-fil-A East Peoria. Download the Chick-fil-A app today and start earning points toward free rewards that are fully customized to your preferences and tastes. Chick-fil-A was named as one of Glassdoor's best places to work in the nation. That's a huge honor. And one team member even wrote, no comparison. This is a great job for a first job, extra money, or for career advancement. Such a loving environment, great management, and fair pay. Chick-fil-A believes that the local and involved ownership ensures fostering an environment where you are known, challenged, and cared for. So if you're looking for a wonderful place to work, visit Chick-fil-A East Peoria or fill out an application online today at cfaeastpeoria.com. Did you know this podcast recently came under the umbrella of our new nonprofit, Savvy Sauce Charities? We launched Savvy Sauce Charities to resource loved ones to grow in intimacy with God and others. And our goal is to share joy through podcast episodes and monthly emails and bonus content. It has been a learning curve, so I want to clarify something I've previously shared. I always want to be transparent with you, so I apologize if this has been confusing in the past as I am learning so much through this transition into becoming a nonprofit. But as soon as we were recognized as an official nonprofit with a tax ID number, I shared how you could make a tax-deductible donation. Our attorney let me know that we are actually still awaiting the next step in the process, which is to receive our recognition of exempt status from the IRS and that apparently takes many months. I was informed that contributions will still be retroactively tax-exempt, but we're still awaiting that official confirmation from the IRS, so I will keep you posted when that paperwork goes through. But will you prayerfully consider financially partnering with us to ensure that we can continue this work into the future? We've been blessed by donations in the hundreds and thousands and in the single digits, and we are truly grateful for any amount the Lord brings to your mind. You have no idea how encouraging it is to learn someone has generously shared their offering with us. There's not a lot of feedback in this work, so receiving a donation or a kind letter refreshes us to press on. And my promise to you is to continue seeking God as I steward these finances. 
I will share updates on our website, thesavvysauce.com, and you can find the Donate tab with all the details when you visit thesavvysauce.com. If you have any other questions, always feel free to reach out to this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. Thank you for partnering with us in this meaningful work. I am grateful beyond measure. Now, on the flip side, are there any parts of sexual intimacy that you believe God's Word makes clear are off-limits to believers? Yeah, for sure. You know, the most obvious thing is anything that involves another person. And um, we live in a culture that is talking about open marriages and involving other people in your love life in a physical way, which... I think most Christians would understand is clearly wrong, but where we get a little gray with it is, well, how about in my own imagination? Or how about if we as a couple look at pornography as a way of getting into sexual arousal? And we've got to understand that whether you bring somebody into your bedroom in the flesh or in an image or on your computer screen you're violating the purpose of sex, which is to celebrate a covenant promise between the two of you. And so I believe scripture is really clear that we work to make sure that even within our minds and our hearts, it really is a celebration of ecstasy and intimacy and vulnerability that only involves the two people that have made a covenant to each other. I think that's a really great point. Like you mentioned earlier, Satan can run with these things. I think one lie that people believe is maybe if they're looking at pornography themselves, this only affects me. Yeah. That's just not truth. Or they'll justify it that it's a shortcut. You know, it's easier to be aroused by looking at something really salacious. But again, what the research shows us is that the end result of that is you're not even going to be able to be aroused by being with your spouse. You're not going to be able to enjoy the great gift that God has given you and your spouse because your brain has been tricked out to respond to things that are unnatural. Yes, and that that thing that you thought was really exciting at the time, that's good to play it out long term. That's wisdom and to Mm -hmm. see that it can really devastate your sexual intimacy with your partner. Mm -hmm. Let's just do a quick general sex ed and cover a few things that you wish spouses knew more about each other. Let's start with husbands. Mm -hmm. Julie, because you're an objective third party, what is some helpful information you can provide them with? Well, I'd say one thing, and this is probably something you already know, but it's good to be reminded of. Your wife's sexuality is intertwined with every other aspect of who she is. Um, There's Uh, Some authors that wrote a book a long time ago called Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. And they they describe how men are like waffles because they can compartmentalize everything. Like waffles have those little boxes in them where women are like spaghetti. Every noodle touches every other noodle. And this is really true with sexuality. Men are much more adept at just compartmentalizing a sexual expression. They can be aroused just by looking at something or one thought. Whereas women, in order for them to be aroused, they have to feel safe emotionally and they have to feel connected to you and they have to be able to shut off everything else that's going on in their mind. Like I've got to take care of the kids and what if one of them hears us? And so be sensitive to the fact that for your wife to really enjoy sex, you have to be ministering to her 
at every level, helping her be rested, helping her feel safe, helping her feel connected. And that sounds like a lot of work and it is, but it's worth it. And it's not just about helping your wife have a sexual expression. It's about really helping her feel connected to you and enjoying the whole experience, which is why I think a lot of women, particularly as they're raising young kids, they'll say, I just don't like sex because I never feel ready for it. And so guys, if this is important to you, then remember that you have to think about how your wife is doing relationally and emotionally and physically and not just, you know, in the middle of the day or at the end of the day, say, hey, how about we be intimate? Because you're likely to get a no if you haven't been aware of those other things. So that would be a big thing I'd tell husbands. I think that's so good. And especially because you use that word ministering, really that definition is meeting other people's needs. Yeah. That really clarifies the next step maybe a husband can take in meeting the needs of his wife. Like you said, maybe it's doing dishes and putting the kids to bed or they can be creative. Yeah. Some of the most romantic things my husband has done for me have been just ways that he served me outside of the bedroom. I remember when I was in the stage of motherhood that you're in with little kids one morning waking up and the sun woke me up and it's like maybe eight in the morning and I panicked because I was like, I slept in, like I overslept and I got to get the kids to school and who woke up the baby and fed, you know, like I immediately panicked. And then I realized that my husband had gotten up early and just done all that for me and let me sleep in. Um, And I'll tell you, that was like, wow, where's that man? I want to show him some love. But just really understanding that courting your wife, you know, really inviting her to intimacy is about a lot more than getting naked. It's really about serving her in those other areas. And such a practical example that you just gave one way of ministering would be helping her sleep because fatigue is usually the number one for a wife for killing sexual intimacy. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's that simple, but we just don't have the energy. (laughs) The other thing I would encourage husbands to do is to give your wife like a a warm-up time. And we call that foreplay, but really what I mean even more so is that because women have to be prepared emotionally and physically, if they know, hey, tonight we're going to try to be intimate, then they'll think that way. And they'll begin thinking about what they want to do with you and thinking about, okay, I'm not going to try to get all the laundry done tonight. And, you know, think about, I want to take a bath or a shower this afternoon so I just feel clean. All those things that you don't think are important, that's what gets a woman ready for intimacy. And so if you just feel like you always want to be spontaneous, you're most likely not to be met with open arms. And so like my husband and I have tried different things over the years whether it's putting sex on the calendar so that I know, hey, this is what I'm preparing for, or even um, something that we would call like a requisition order. It doesn't sound romantic, but it was kind of a joke between us where Mike would like say, hey, I'm putting in a requisition order. Like, I would like to be with you. I want sex with you, but I know it's going to take time for you to get ready. So how about, you know, sometime in the next 24 hours, we find a time to be intimate And just that communication has made a huge difference in our marriage instead of me always feeling like 
he was going to initiate and I was going to have to try to get out of it because I wasn't ready. Mm, That's a great example. Back before I had kids, as a marriage and family therapist, I remember working in a private practice and talking about these issues. And clients would come up with different ways to do this. And like you said, for wives, they usually do have to declutter their minds and it helps to be thinking about this. So when it was a day that they knew they were going to try and be intimate with their husband, they would write TS on the calendar (laughs) and just Mm -hmm. think sex. And that would mentally prepare them and even help them store up enough energy throughout the day for that night to be special. Yeah, you're right. I've heard all kinds of creative ideas, um, like, you know, hanging a sign on the door or a certain text that's a code between the two of them. And that might even change over time as as your language with each other changes over time and your circumstance change. But learning to communicate is really, really healthy and will help avoid those continual misunderstandings or feelings of rejection related to sex. And it can lighten it up in an appropriate way to make it just kind of fun and playful when you Mm -hmm. communicate that way. So now we've covered a little bit of what we would say to husbands. Now, what about wives? What do you wish you could help them understand about their husbands? Yeah, I would wish that wives would understand that although husbands can be more compartmentalized with sex, to understand that sex still impacts every aspect of who they are. Um, They don't always have the words for it. But for example, we've already talked about this a little bit. Husbands, their, their sense of masculinity or the ego is really tied up in their sexuality. And this plays out in a lot of different ways. For a, a man that has a higher sex drive, if he continually feels rejected by his wife, that chips away at his confidence, at his feeling of safety within your marriage. But that also plays out for men that have a lower sex drive. And I'd say probably 20, 30% of marriages a man's going to just naturally have a lower sex drive than his wife does. And in that situation, both the man and the woman can feel very inadequate, like, what's wrong with me? A woman will feel like all my friends are talking about how their husbands always want sex. My husband never pursues me. And she can feel rejected. But what adds to it then is the man starts to feel less like a man, like, what's wrong with me? Because I can't enjoy this. I don't desire this like other men do. And so really understanding as you address sexuality within your marriage, that a man's confidence, his sense of ego, his sense of masculinity and self is really tied up in the whole topic of sexuality and being sensitive to that, uh, whatever issue you're addressing, being careful not to shame him, but just to embrace who he is and, and walk with him on that journey. And that's the other thing I would say is that A wife is really a teammate for a husband in every area of life. Um, You know, in Genesis, God said it's not good for a man to be alone. So I'm going to make him a helper or the Hebrew word is easier, like an empowering person that walks alongside him. And I think it's important for a wife to realize that most men face a really challenging journey of trying to honor God with their sexuality. And you want to be his teammate in that, to help him know that he doesn't have to keep secrets from you, that you want to understand where he's tempted. Not that you're his accountability partner, but that you share this part of his life with him. 
and it's not like he has to be isolated. Uh, so those are two things I'd encourage you to consider as a wife. I think those are great. And just thinking back, I've heard you speak before, and there is a really practical example. I just love how you answered someone's question this one time. She had asked why her husband didn't like her rubbing his leg to get him in the mood. And mm -hmm. you just frankly said, he probably wishes you were rubbing something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's practical, but it but it it is a difference between men and women. Women generally like indirect stimulation that makes them feel safe and comfortable and gets them going. Men like direct stimulation in one place, and uh, they're happy to just get right started there. So um, those are some of the differences that most couples are going to have to navigate. And once we understand some of those gender differences, I think it can counterintuitively pull us closer together and actually make our sex lives more satisfying. Yeah, I think those gender differences were part of God's original design. It's not like the gender differences appeared with sin. Adam and Eve were different from the beginning. And there's a lot of reasons why we're different. But one of them is, again, because it forces you to have a larger view of what sex is about in your marriage, that it's not just about me always getting my needs met. It's about us on a journey together learning what it is to love. Well, I love encouragement. So what patterns are you seeing in couples who are getting it right as it relates to their overall intimacy in marriage? Oh, you know, I, I get so much encouragement through what I'm doing at Authentic Intimacy, and it's it's so fun to run into people two or three years after maybe they've been to an event that we've done or they've gone through Passion Pursued or another book and they just will say like God has completely changed this area of our life. We used to fight about it all the time. Now it's just really become a joy and we're learning to love each other in such profound ways. And just being able to hear stories of couples that have overcome infidelity, pornography, you know, just all kinds of differences, sexual pain. And so I get to hear encouraging stories a lot of what happens when a couple really yields this part of their marriage to God and, and is on that journey of healing. There may be some effort they have to put into that or maybe go see a third party. And like you said, getting in God's word, but it is so worthwhile. It is. And it's a journey. You're right. It, it doesn't just magically happen. Uh, you do have to work at it and pray about it and at times get some outside help, but it's worth it. Well, and if you are one of the keys for them getting this outside help, can you just tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find out everything we're doing at AuthenticIntimacy.com. And so you'll see books, Bible studies, our podcast, blog, events, you know, just however you can connect with our ministry, you'll be able to find that there. Julie, I just have one final question for you. Uh-huh. We are called the savvy sauce because savvy <laughs> is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so as my final question today, what is your savvy sauce? Wow, this is going to sound very churchy, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind is just spending time with God. It just, I, I can't do anything that God asked me to do without spending time with him, including love my husband. And sex within our marriage has never been an easy thing for us. And so for us to walk with integrity, for me to 
be a woman of integrity, for me to teach my kids, really all depends on God's healing in my life and getting his perspective. And so if there's one piece of advice I'd give is make an effort, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, to spend time with God and get his perspective on everything, including sexuality. That's great wisdom. And I know I followed your work for years, Julie, and I admire your courage just to help others in this realm of pursuing sexuality the way God intended. So thanks for being my guest today. Well, thanks so much for letting me share. It's been a joy. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, but Christ desires to rescue us from our sin, which is something we cannot do for ourselves. This means there is absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what He has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. And at this podcast, we're called the Savvy Sauce for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you ready to get started? First, tell someone, say it out loud, get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes and Noble and let me choose my own Bible. I selected the Quest NIV Bible and I love it. You can start by reading the book of John. Also get connected locally, which just means tell someone who's a part of a church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us here if you did make a decision to follow Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. And finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. And if you've already received this good news, I pray you have someone to share it with. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.